Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and on behalf of Adapter's Advantage, I'm here to welcome Today's guest, Pat Burgess of Medtronic. I want to give you a little background on Pat before we jump into this conversation. Pat's the chair of the Ventilator Training Alliance, also known as the VTA, which includes every major ventilator manufacturer in the world. At Medtronic, Pat serves as the vice president of global commercial capabilities, where his team aims to infuse growth through world-class training experiences. He's been with the company since 2003, working in a number of businesses and regions. Pat has extensive experience in both developed and emerging markets, having worked in nearly 60 countries with the company. More on that in a few minutes. Pat was instrumental in expanding access to care in emerging countries across Europe, Africa, and the Middle East for Medtronic. Prior to his current role, Pat spent 15 years as a human resource business partner, specializing in high-performance teams, talent development, and organizational culture. He's one of the founding members of a program that has gained recognition for world-class organizational health results known as Culture Circles. Pat was also the recipient of the 2017 Wallen Leadership Award, recognizing outstanding transformational leadership. Personally, Pat is an ice hockey fanatic, married, and the proud father of three kids, and he lives outside of New York City. So with that set up, Pat, welcome to Adapter's Advantage. Great, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. Nice, nice to get dressed up up top for a day. I was going to say you're like the most dressed up person <laughs> I think I've had on the show. So uh, let's jump right in, Pat. Um, how do you answer the question, given the breadth of what I just discussed that you've been been doing at Medtronic? Uh, when someone says to you, "So I, I know you're with Medtronic. What do you do? How do you answer that question?" I help I help the business grow. Um, it's all everything we do is about growth. So as you read in the intro, the, the role that I have in global commercial capabilities for Medtronic is all around infusing growth through world-class training experiences. And when we think about growth, we think about it on a number of fronts. Clearly, we're looking for business growth, revenue growth. You know, we want to we drive sales productivity in all the traditional terms of growth, but we also want our teams to grow. We want our commercial capabilities to grow. And, and uh, that development pathway is a key part of why people choose to build their careers here. So our role within commercial capabilities is really to help drive growth in, in all, uh, by all definitions. I love the two-sided aspect of the word growth because so often uh, people think of it only in one side. You know, when you first use the word, it's easy if your perception is business oriented to just think about the business and commercial results. And if your background is more HR learning, it's much easier to think just about the professional development piece of it. But the way you just described it really encompasses the importance of both sides of that equation. Yeah, that's right. I mean, our, our people, our people are the ones that generate the growth. So you know, that that's that's how we grow our businesses by growing our people. So when when I ask, uh, what do you enjoy most about what you do? What what really drives you in this role? I think it's seeing the impact of of, uh, of how learning can can really change the game. So, you know, we focus on creating experience 
experiences through our learning pathway, knowing that's how, that's how people grow and develop. 70% of the time, it's, it's through on-the-job experience. So, you know, through, through my time in this profession, I've seen the impact of creating those experiences for learners around the world. And, and ultimately, what that does in, in, in my industry in healthcare is we're helping expand access to care. We're helping to serve the mission that at Medtronic, uh, every, all 90,000 employees are behind, and that's alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life. And we can do that through education, and, uh, and that's played a key role in, in how we've developed our business over the years. Well, using that as a kind of a launching point here, I'd like to jump right into what you see as the biggest challenge in the business that you've had to adapt to. And obviously with COVID, that's been a big part of the way things have changed. But just even at the broader level, given the context of uh, helping people develop, what, what is the biggest challenge that you've had to adapt to? Yeah, I, th I think the acute challenge in the learning space that everyone can probably align on is having to do all this virtually now, right? You know, that, that um, was something that we were working towards in the past, and we knew that that you know, we needed to become stronger at virtual delivery and, and ensuring that, um, that our learners were, were still getting the same outcomes after, after uh, participating in our programs and, and learning opportunities. And so, you know, with, with COVID, this has obviously been accelerated drastically. Um, the business doesn't stop. In fact, in our case, there's a much greater need for investment in this space than there ever has been because at the point of sale for, for sales reps across Medtronic, their customers are asking for different behaviors out of, out of the sales reps. They're looking to engage in, in a different uh, experience with, with sales representatives. And so, um, you know, we have to be mindful of that uh, on how we send, uh, how we send our customer facing resources to, to show up. And uh, part of the shift that, that we've been making is, is to build a more consultative approach to where we can really show up as partners for our customers rather than there to just sell something or to, or to, to get a purchase order. We're now engaging in, in deeper partnership with our customer base that, that we think will, uh, will, will be a win-win for both the customers and us. And so that's a big piece of, of how we've pivoted um, using technology to, to kind of replicate these experiential learning opportunities and, uh, and a Lego, frankly, has been a, a big part of that as well that, that's enabled us to do that. You know, Pat, you said something really significant right there that in a sense, this has provided an opportunity to help the team show up as partners, which of course, you know, as I hear it, I know you're thinking the same thing. That's probably the way in so many instances, people want to have you show up anyway. So in a right. sense, it's, it's accelerated this thing for everybody to step back and realize what if there was another way for us to engage with the relevant parties that we're partnering with. And, and you know, maybe the takeaway from all of this is um, even when there's a vaccine, there'll be a lot of these behaviors that will have been ingrained in terms of the way we do things here now. Yeah, couldn't agree more. There's a different level of, I mean, you take just one component uh, of, of our focus, and that's around emotional intelligence. You, you take that one component of it, and you think about the dynamic that's created in this environment, where in the past, you know, traditional emotional intelligence training around listening, around empathy, around how to communicate effectively with your customer, it was pretty cut and dry, right? Uh, and you practice and rehearse that and build that skill. Well, now it's a little bit different because now a lot of our reps are trying to engage with their key stakeholders and customers virtually. And you have a room full of people 
you know, in a, in a virtual setting, you got to read that room a little bit differently. You have to be able to pick up nonverbal cues more effectively. You have to be able to ask the right questions to extract the right information to be able to support your customers. So all of those are, are skill sets that, that we're very aggressively trying to build uh, so that we can serve our customers in a more meaningful way. You know, it's interesting, Pat. Uh, I had a previous guest by the name of Colleen Stanley, and she's um, a, a well-respected author and trainer. And the, the emotional intelligence piece is a big part of her focus. And so she talked a little bit about how this is becoming even more relevant in the context of the virtual world that you just described. So my question for you is, how do you see the sales process changing in life sciences as we move to this more virtual world? Yeah, I think it's, it's heavily partnership dependent. So, you know, one of the things that's becoming clear is that, um, you know, relationships matter. And, you know, there's a time when maybe the relationship uh, in a sales process took, took more of a backseat. But now we're seeing that, you know, oftentimes it's, it's by invite only where, where our sales reps are being invited into the OR, but it's, but it's only with that invitation that they get that face-to-face -face access only for certain caseloads or certain procedures. And so, you know, putting a focus on how to appropriately build a relationship in, in this partnership model, um, you know, starts with understanding, right? We got to seek to understand and really understand what the customer's current issues are and how we can help them solve for those challenges. So you know, I, would, I would bring it back to that. It's, it's, it's the foundation of this is really trying to, to, to understand what challenges are, are we're facing um, at the customer level at a very acute level and, and try to help be a, a part of the solution there for our customers. So that leads me to the, the thing I'm really excited to talk to you about. It's just been such a, a meaningful thing for us to, uh, to be a part of in some small way. And, and that is the, the Ventilator Training Alliance. Can you share with our listeners, what was the impetus of this alliance that you helped to coordinate with your peers across the industry? Yeah, sure. Happy to share. So in, uh, in, in early April, we, Medtronic's a, a, a major manufacturer in the ventilator space. And um, internally, we were wrestling with how are we going to train all these end users? We, we were releasing uh, ventilator models that, that were newly introduced or reintroduced to certain markets that, that come with different training needs. And so we had a handful of ventilators that were, were going uh, into new markets that had training associated with them. And we're looking at, we're staring this problem like right in the face and, and um, you know, I posed a question to my team. I said, are we the only ones facing this challenge or is this something that everyone else is facing? And, and um, you know, my ventilation team quickly came back to me and said, no, this is across the board. Everyone's facing these challenges. And so, you know, what, what we came to understand is that there was in, in the early April timeframe, there was an emerging crisis in healthcare that wasn't getting a lot of attention. You know, you, you'd heard a lot about the ventilator, ventilator shortages and, and everyone racing for, with, with, with production, uh, open sourcing models and, and new production vehicles, et cetera. Well, once we get all those ventilators, then it's a matter of, of you know, getting the, the end users equipped to be able to use those ventilators. So we were talking to uh, end users, you know, the, the, um, the biomets who are sitting at the, at the loading docks of the hospitals and seeing all these new ventilators coming off the docks and going into the staging area. And then they're sitting there with a room full of ventilators that they're not familiar with and they don't know how to set up. And so there's a, a delay time on getting those ventilators active was, was problem number one. And then when we get them out into the ICUs into the critical care areas, 
we're finding that the end users there had some gaps, gaps. The respiratory therapists in particular, you know, not many respiratory therapists are familiar with operating a dozen different ventilator types because, you know, they're, they're complicated systems. They require different calibration and different settings and, and need to be manipulated in different ways. So we have this new influx of vents. And at the same time, we have a shortage of respiratory therapists, right? You, you think back to early April timeframe, particularly in the United States, where we were seeing respiratory therapists and other frontline workers being infected at a much higher rate. And um, there was a shortage, there was a much higher demand than they could fulfill to begin with. So you had these two problems of an influx of new ventilators and as a result of the shortage of, of end users, available respiratory therapists, the work overflow in some cases was, was going to nurses or uh, anesthesiologists or others in the care setting that might be able to lend a hand. So now you have this, this training problem that's really magnified, right? New vents, a lot of new vents, and a lot of new people that aren't familiar with using vents. I talked to one nurse who'd been in the profession for 20 years, and she said, look, I haven't been trained on a ventilator since I was in nursing school. So I need something to, to refresh on. I don't necessarily need a deep dive, but I just need to be able to refresh and make sure I'm, I'm looking at the right thing. So with that, we identified that this is an industry-wide problem. And um, my first call here was to Yuchin Lee, the CEO of Allego, uh, and, and I explained to Yuchin, Yuchin's been, a, Allego's been a great partner for us for a few years in the learning space. Um, and, I, and I knew it was, you know, you guys are a small, agile company that, uh, that, that, that's very kind of mission-driven as well. And so I explained to Yuchin the, the situation that we were in. And within minutes of explaining the scenario, he said, I'm all in. Whatever we can do to help. He said, we've been looking for a way to get involved and, and, to, and to give back. And we haven't been able to kind of identify the right way to, to make an impact here. And this is it. And so Yuchin said, look, I'll dedicate my team to building this platform if you can build the alliance. And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. We got that covered, uh, YouTube. We'll, we'll get on it. And he said, he said, Pat, how many people do you have in the alliance today? And I said, um, well, none yet. <laughs> and you still laughing. He said, wait a minute, you want me to dedicate my whole company to building this app, but you don't even have the partners in, in hand? And so I said, Yuchin, you let me handle that piece and you handle the app and, and we'll talk every day and see how we're making progress. And, you know, it, it didn't take long. Um, we we aggressively uh, started reaching out to our peer companies. We had, we had a, a real strong team on the Medtronic side, really to help, really working hard to to help get the word out on on the intent and, and the objective of this project. And uh, within a week, we had every major ventilator manufacturer stack hands and say, "Yes, we're in. We'll start loading content." So this went from this project went from concept to execution uh, in a matter of 15 days. April 1st was the first discussion we had. And on April 15th, we launched the app. And um, you know, I know a lot of hoops were jumped through to try to get that app approved at, at, in record time. Um, but but you know, everyone chipped in on uh, everyone on on all sides. Every alliance member um, really played a key role in this. Obviously, the the Lego uh, building a platform just did you know move mountains to get that done. So it's a a really positive story in a in a challenging time where you know it's sometimes hard to see the good that comes from industry and and for me uh this has been probably the most meaningful work i've ever been a part of today we have a ventilator training alliance that has 30 or so ventilator manufacturers uh involved that have loaded training content for end users 
Um, virtually every single ventilator manufacturer in the world is participating in this, and we're in virtually every country in the world. Uh, close to 200 countries that that um, that have downloaded. What I'm most proud of with this app is is how we're extending access to care around the world. Uh, I've heard from people in in remote and emerging countries around the world that said, without this, we would not have anything whatsoever. And so, um, you know, it, it really it, it really is helping in this pandemic and in this public public health crisis and making a difference. So I'm uh, really proud to be a part of it. You know, Pat, as you were describing it, literally I, I was getting goosebumps as you were telling that story. And, and I remember as a student of the Apollo program, I've, I've studied that program and I've you know, watched all the movies and from the earth to the moon. And, and I always thought like, what would it be like to be part of something where you're just so committed to it and it's for something bigger than you. And for many of us in our generation, you know, there, it, it, was, uh, it was elusive. And what I noticed, even in our small example at Allego, people who worked nights, weekends, they, they went the extra mile during that period of time. Nobody complained and people were just so excited to contribute. And it made me think about the people in the, in the Apollo program. I remember a, a story of President Kennedy um, walking through what was later called Kennedy Space Center and, uh, and asking one of the janitors about his experience working there. And he said, um, I'm part of putting a man on the moon. I couldn't be happier to be here. And no matter what role you're playing, right, there's, there's this element of, of contributing something bigger. So um, it's, it's really a, a fantastic story and I think uh, much needed during what has been um, you know, a difficult time uh, during this pandemic. But the other part that jumps out at me as you just related that story is, it's only August of 2020 as we have this conversation right now. You started the conversation April 1st and literally almost the entire industry has gotten behind it. I don't think even you, Chen, would have believed that you could pull that off by August. Well, you know, it's, there, was, there was a pivotal moment um, as we were developing this in early April and, and uh, sitting around with several of my team members that were that were building this uh, alongside of the Lego. And you know, I, I asked each person, this was like, well, you know, as you said, people were working around the clock those those two weeks. I distinctly recall having having a meeting at like 2 a.m. Uh, you know, people were sleeping two hours a night for, for weeks on end trying to get this thing built. And I recall having one of these late night meetings and and kind of took a, you know, tried to take a step back and I said to said to the folks that were on the call, I said, guys, let's just go around the call. How would you define success here? And we, you know, we started going around and people were getting very analytical, like, oh, this number of downloads, you know, we want this number of countries. And then I came to a guy on my team, Ryan Thompson. He said, you know, Pat, it's real simple for me. I define it one person. We can yeah. impact one life with this. It's well worth all the time and energy we put into this. And oh. we know from both the data and the downloads and the utilization and the anecdotal feedback we're hearing that the number is far north of one right now on the total impact, but it, it's a powerful story because, you know, this was, I'm sure every single day, there are teams and people that have ideas that can change the world. And what holds us back most of the time is fear, right? It's fear of failure, it's self-doubt. Um, I had the same situation. The, the first people that I talked to this about on April 1st was my family at the dinner table. And uh, I have a few teenagers and they got a good kick out of this. They, they started, you know, 
making fun of me saying, Oh, you're going to change the world with this app. And then, you know, two weeks later, the world has changed with this app. So I think it just goes to show, you know, so often we, all of us, all of us have great ideas that we squash before they even get legs, you know, because we, we fear of, we're scared of failure. So, so um, for me, it's been a real strong lesson to, to, you know, try to avoid letting self doubt kind of dictate your path. You know, Pat, uh, the anthropologist, Margaret Mead, one of my favorite quotes, she said, uh, never doubt that a small group of committed people can change the world because indeed it's the only thing that ever has. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, another, another perspective that was shared with me was from the voice of a respiratory therapist, a guy by the name of Jose Ramirez, um, who, who gave me a new perspective on it, you know, and less, less about kind of measuring the lives we touch in terms of patients but thinking about the caregivers, thinking about the healthcare providers, the healthcare heroes in that setting. And what Jose described to me, he said, Pat, as a respiratory therapist, when I get new ventilators in, I'm standing here trying to figure out this new ventilator. And on the other side of me is a patient that's dying. Mm -hmm. So every minute I spend over here is a minute less that this person has potentially to live. And so, you know, he talked to me about the stress that he felt as a respiratory therapist. And yeah, he, he gave a very emotionally charged testimony testimonial on, on this app and what how it's helped him gain a sense of confidence in, in, um, in managing the ventilators to where he doesn't, he's not living in that constant state of stress in, in this pandemic. He's able to manage it more fluidly because he has access to, to information that he needs to do his job. And so, you know, part of this is, is also about serving the healthcare heroes, right? These, these are These are not only our customers at Medtronic, but you know, these are the people keeping us afloat right now around the world that, um, that, you know, we want to do everything we can to support and to help in any way we can. And so you know, th this is certainly one of, one of the more meaningful uh, efforts we've, we've, we've done uh, within, within our global commercial capabilities group to, to serve the patients directly like that. Um, and, and I think it'll pay dividends in terms of the relationships we're, we're trying to build. The question is, what surprised you the most about working with your competitors to, to build uh, the VTA? Like what, what was the big surprise when you made those phone calls in yeah. terms of how it played out? I think it's just, it's, it's the amount of uh, collaboration that, that took place right out of the gate. You know, these are competitors that in this industry, this is a, this is a tough, a highly competitive, tough environment to, to work in, yes. in ventilation. And, you know, these companies have been going at each other for, I've been in with this company for almost 20 years and, and I've seen them be arch enemies for a long, long time. So, you know, to go from enemy to alliance overnight, essentially surprised me most, you know, I, I knew we'd be able to get a handful of, um, of alliance partners out of the gate just because we had some good relationships and networks with, with within the uh, competitive companies that I, I was confident we'd be able to, to get buy-in and, and have, at least some of the major players involved. I did not expect to be able to get everyone involved right out of the gate. And so that surprised me most was, was how quickly industry was willing to put aside turf battles, to put aside taking share, to put aside profits and to focus on doing what's right for healthcare for, to, to address this public health issue and, and support the healthcare heroes on the front lines and, and ultimately help help uh, patients in this crisis. If you were to be talking to other executives and, and the thought of building some kind of an alliance within their competitive ecosystem, what would you say to them in terms of, 
a willingness to try this? Uh, what, what's the big risk and what's the big upside for someone who's kind of on the edge, worried about, well, I'm afraid we might reveal too much to our com uh, competition? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, 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 think, I think it's just, you know, finding the good intent in scenarios like this. Um, we're, we're recognizing that together we're much more powerful, you know, and, and that's where we talked about this with the Ventilator Training Alliance. Every single company, for the most part, already had these learning assets in one place, on their website or, you know, somewhere else. But we were hearing from end users, well, it's, it's not that easy. You know, oftentimes in the staging area, we don't have great Internet signals. And there was bandwidth issues already, you know, uh, erupting at the time when we were launching this. So there was, there was, you know, offline use needs that were emerging in this case. There was language translation needs that, that were emerging where we had content in, in one language, but the demand was in another language. So we had all these varying challenge, various challenges across different organizations, but the solution could really meet all those challenges. And so, you know, if, if, we, if we looked at this kind of in silos and we each looked at it as our own problem, it wasn't gonna solve the problem for the end user, right? I, I, could, I could work with a Lego at Medtronic and build the most robust training that, that exists and have it available to all of our customers, but that's just one of many ventilator types that are out there. So, you know, in this case, in the situation of Ventilator Training Alliance, what really made the difference was putting aside differences and focusing on the end user, the end customer, what they're looking for, what they need to be able to do their job successfully and, and, um, and make a difference in patients. And so when we put all the rest aside and we had that common purpose and mission, that, that made it a lot easier. You know, it, that created a, a great deal of alignment when there, was, when there was a common purpose and mission in mind. What a simple and yet profound concept, right? And, and that has applications in, in many things. Um, so I want to pivot from that now to one other unique element of your experience, Pat, because there are a lot of people who uh, uh, will be listening to this podcast, some of whom have worked outside of their native country. Um, but your situation is unique to have been in more than 60 countries. So when you think about that broad range of, of both emerge, emerging and, and developed markets that you've worked in, and you think about the culture change that so often has been a part of the work in, in the training and development group. Um, my question is, how have you helped, how have you leveraged technology to help in that process of culture change? And what's different in general between working in the United States and other parts of the world? Yeah, I'll, I'll share a quick story with you on where this really kind of came to life for me. I was, I was working in, uh, in Africa and expanding access to care, uh, just trying to expand our footprint. And one of our new market entries was in Nairobi, Kenya. And um, I was one of the first, if not the first employee on the ground there and started building up the, the infrastructure, started finding employees and, and office space, et cetera. And um, we hired the team, we started training them. I called up my counterpart in the US and said, hey, could you send me over all the content you have for this class of trade? We're trying to train a group of people we just hired on the ground here in Kenya. He sends me over to LinkedIn. We go through, sort through all this, you know, hundreds of pages of, of educational material and close the file and I said none of this is relevant none of it's relevant to what we're trying to do here it's a very different environment right we were we were not in a market share game where we're going head to head with competitors or we were in a market development play right and it was a very different approach to how we needed to grow in that market and so 
that kind of stood out to me as as an aha moment as you know we have while, while everyone agrees that standardization of learning content makes perfect sense for efficiency purposes we can't standardize 100%. We need to leave that local customization. And so we target 20% customization and that's where the technology really comes into play for us. So we can standardize content through a center-led approach and distribute it throughout the world. And then we give guidance on where we think you'll need the flex per your market specifications or whatever market dynamics you're facing. And so in that, we're really able to leverage technology to help customize the learning experience at a local level, right? So. Um, you know, Lego is one of the one of the key platforms we use for this. And what it, what I love about this approach is that it, it ties back to something I said earlier on how people learn. Right? We we know that people learn through experience. Experiential learning is the most meaningful form of of learning. And and the next the second best form is through peer learning, peer to peer. And so what this what what this tool allows us to do is is give people the experience. We force them into to building that experience and practicing in, in simulated environments. And that develops the muscle, right? And then um, with that, there's also great peer engagement where peers are able to give feedback on what they heard and what they saw and, and where there are opportunities to improve. So I think that's probably the key for us in, in terms of, um, you know, driving that standardization to a level where we get the efficiency as a, as a huge company. Uh, we're the largest medical device company in the world. So we have to standardize some of this content in order to drive that efficiency. But we also have to be mindful of the market specific specification that's needed uh, to really help help our teams win in those markets. Um, let's pivot to this idea of onboarding new hires in this virtual time. What, what do you see as the biggest opportunity and what do you see as the biggest challenge that we face in the onboarding realm? As it relates to, to new hire training, you know, one of the one of the real gaps in this environment is is that hands-on experience. So particularly for new hire experiences that require people to you know to touch and feel the products that they're gonna that they're gonna be um, selling, it's important, right? They need to understand as much as they possibly can. They need to be experts on this before they before they get in front of our customers. And so that's been a real challenge that we've faced on on having an overnight shift from what was you know, a multi-week program, depending on the business that, uh, that that one was being trained in as a new hire. But all of our new hire programs were multiple weeks, um, some even months on end uh, of training. And so now we're in this environment where, well, I know I can't keep, you know, a new hire class engaged on a virtual call for six weeks. That's not practical. Right. And so part of part of what the big adjustment for us has been at specifically as it relates to new hires, trying to break it down into bite-sized pieces that are manageable where the learner can absorb it and then apply it quickly. So it's a, it's a, um, you know, it's a model where, where we lean heavily on field sales training support so that we can teach in, in concept uh, some principles and we can allow for the learner to practice with peers and, and experiment and, and really perfect that um, that pitch or that muscle or that that skill development, but then we also allow them to go out in the field and apply that and, and continue that learning into the field, and then we'll bring them back in and, and kind of and, and take the same approach. So it's in and out of kind of the classroom and applied experience setting, and what we're seeing with that is significant improvements in our time to peak sales. So um, you know we can say confidently now that. You know, we have we have new hires performing better than they've ever performed in the groups where where we're driving this new approach, and so we're confident that um, that 
that all these changes that we're making are, are you know, are, are effective. Um, is it as effective as a classroom setting of six weeks would have been, uh, where we could have sat with them and worked through them, worked, worked through all the learning concepts? That remains to be seen. Um, but in any event, as you referenced earlier, you know, th this, these changes that we're making, some of them are going to stick for sure. And, and some of them will, will always lean back uh, uh, to a face-to-face -face engagement as preferred. But the bottom line is we're finding ways to get things done and to, and to build these capabilities that will really help shape the a more favorable customer experience moving forward. Well, Pat, that leads me to the last question. And that is based on your experience, what's the most important skill you think people should learn or improve today? Well, I, I don't know that I'd call it a skill as much as, as a competency, but I would say it centers around learning agility. Um, I, I, I've recently uh, published a, a video out on LinkedIn around change agility, which is one component of learning agility, but, but really learning agility references our ability to adapt, um, to adapt and get results through various scenarios that are thrown at us. We're in a more turbulent environment than we've ever been in right now and um, you know for the foreseeable future that's that's going to be the norm and so those that can adapt most quickly to the change and and learn new skills are going to be most successful and and i would i would hang my hat on that learning agility is is the, the competency of the future and it's and i think it's made up of, of a, several different factors that will influence that change agility results agility mental agility people agility self-awareness all these are components that will that will that people can lean into to help improve their their learning agility but without question for me that's that's the the capability of the future that's the superpower that uh, the top talent will have moving forward well it's so interesting to hear that and really not a surprise pat because as you know for us the whole notion of agile content of being able to help people with this agility muscle and one way to be able to do that is to provide things that are fresh and relevant to give them a chance to practice in these different scenarios or practice with new information versus trying to use stale, outdated information like content that was developed pre-COVID and then have people trying to go to market today with, with content that was from last year that may be completely irrelevant. So I think that's a really interesting uh, part for us to end on. And um, if people wanna learn more about you or the VTA, what's the best way for them to learn more? Well, there's quite a bit out there on LinkedIn. Um, the Ventilator Training Alliance doesn't have a standalone site. We're, we're kind of still in startup mode uh, and building the governance around this. We, we, we built the product and then built the governance afterwards just for the sake of, uh, of getting it out there quickly. But plenty out there on LinkedIn, uh, open to connect with anyone who wants to learn more about, about either the global commercial capabilities work on, on sales process, sales productivity, or, or uh, any of the culture-related culture work that we do, um, or, or anything more broadly on Ventilator Training Alliance. Happy to, happy to engage with anyone if, if uh, people want to connect on LinkedIn. But I would say that's probably the, the best place to start is just seeing what's out there already on, on LinkedIn. Pat, I want to thank you so much. This has been terrific. I appreciate the, the leadership and energy that you've brought to uh, the VTA on multiple different levels and really enjoyed this conversation and uh, welcome the chance to continue our conversation. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Really, really proud to be a part of the alliance with, with Alego and, and thank you for your great partnership. You guys have been phenomenal. Great. Thanks so much. All right. Cheers. All the best. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.